Coming up, motoring with Nico Smith, and he is on standby. And all your motoring issues, you can give us a call on 086-000-2032 or uh, send us your voice note on 0614104107. And um, Nico, good morning. Good morning, Bertha. How are you? I'm very well, Nico. Always look forward to chatting to you about everything that has to do with vehicles. What have you got for us this morning? Well, let's just start with some interesting news. Um, so, according to Norm, so, um, our motor sales are slightly lower this month than um, in the last three months. It's been slightly lower, but it, it seems to be, be, be very similar to last year's sales. So, I thought this was just for interest sake. Our top um, five selling vehicles in South Africa um, for, the, for last month was the Hilux, um, being the most popular, followed by the Polo Vivo, the Corolla Cross, the Ford Ranger, and of course the High Ace. I did not expect the High Ace to be in the top selling vehicle. So um, if you compare it to last year, very similar last year in October, we sold about um, or sold 30,000 cars, 30,980 this year. Uh, 29,912. Light commercial vehicles, um, very similar as well. Both of them around about 12,000. So those are the, the most popular vehicles in South Africa. Um, so it's interesting that the Bucky uh, does so well. Of course, a lot of those are workhorses as well. People are buying, not only, you know, when I think only of Hilux, you're thinking of the double cab, but people, a lot of them are buying them for their business as well. So uh, those are the most popular cars in South Africa. Mm. And uh, fuel consumption-wise, are they economical? Well, I would say the highlights not so much, but basically if you're looking at the, the Vivo and uh, the Corolla Cross, you know, they, they're very economical, especially if you're looking at the Corolla Cross, uh, um, the hybrid version. Of course, that's, you're going to pay a lot more for the Corolla Cross hybrid, but that's going to be um, a lot lighter. Or that's going to be the most efficient one. So, um, you know, I think a lot of South Africans are feeling the pinch if you look at the the, the pre-owned market is also doing much better. Um, but yeah, and, and they're not necessarily, and people aren't necessarily buying them for, for the best fuel consumption or getting the best fuel consumption out of those cars. Mm. And parts-wise, because you know when we buy cars these days, you want to know that, you know, when something goes wrong, you can take it in and you can have it back within, you know, a day maximum, not to be told that you have to wait weeks. We have to import oh, or try yes. and get a part. Exactly. You know, that's, that's quite a frustration uh, or frustrating thing. And, and that would always be, for me, a consideration. I live in Pretoria, so it's, it's you know, convenient. That, you know, if I want to choose a vehicle, there's so many dealerships to choose from. And even with one brand, you have more than one dealership. So that's really convenient. But if you're living in a smaller city, a smaller town and a rural area, that would be a big consideration for me when I buy a vehicle is, you know, where can I find, where can I service it? Where's the closest dealership? It doesn't help I drive half a day there to service the car and half a day back. Um, and then also the part, as you said, uh, I think that is one of the reasons why Jetta does so well. And of course, other, other manufacturers that are doing well is the, the, the free availability of parts. You know, that is definitely got to be a consideration when you're buying a car, is how easy the, the parts, you can find the parts. Um, something else I wanted to talk to you about, um, yes. which I found very, very interesting, is... The other day, I was driving behind an Omoda. Omoda is a Chinese brand. Um, so I was driving behind the, an Omoda, and on the back of the vehicle, it said uh, 230p. Um, and I thought, hang on, but I'm sure this is a 1.5-liter turbo, but the back of the car is 
230 team. In, in other words, it creates, a, you know, you're thinking this is a 2.3 liter engine. And then I started th- thinking, hang on. So I double checked myself. And of course, you know, luckily I was right in this case. It is actually um, not a 2.3 liter, but a, 1. Uh, a 1.5 liter turbo engine. Um, and then I started, you know, I've, I've realized that the, uh, quite a few manufacturers are doing this. I don't know if some people have, you know, seen this. And the first time I remember this happening was Mercedes-Benz uh, quite a few years back. And they, on their two, um, it was a C-Class, the 260. Um, and even though it said 260 at the back, it was actually a 2.4 liter engine. And then we started seeing that more and more, especially the Germans are, are, are very keen on, let's not say very keen, but they tend to do that quite a lot where, um, what, what you're seeing in the back of the vehicle isn't necessarily the engine size anymore. So before we'd say, you know, it's a 1.8 at the back, you know it's an 1800. It's a 1.6 in the back, you know it's a 1600. If you go back long enough to the 80s, all the cars had car breakers, and if you had an eye at the back, you knew that the fuel injection. And if it had 16 valves, it would even have a 16 valve sticker. But nowadays, um, the manufacturers, um, because we've gone to what we call downsizing, the engines have become smaller. So where before you might have a 1600, now you have a one liter turbo, and a lot of people don't necessarily want one liter written in the back of their car. Um, they, you know, there's a little bit of, 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 let's say, image in there, and you don't want people to say, I'm driving a one liter, even though the performance is actually better than a, a, a comparative 1.6. So what's now happened is the manufacturers are, a lot of the time they're not even putting, we call that the, the displacement, which is the engine size, they don't put it in the back of the car. Um, otherwise, what they would do is if I use Mercedes-Benz for an example, um, if you use um, C-Class, and it might be a C220 CDI, which is a, uh, a diesel, so the D stands for diesel, but the 220 doesn't mean it's a 2.2 liter, it's actually a 2 liter. Mercedes-Benz BMW is a similar thing, if I use an example, so if you have a 340i, that engine isn't a 4 liter, but it's actually a 3 liter. Mm. Audi, um, Audi have gone uh, a, a completely different route. They've got numbers starting, uh, you know, you'll have a 30 or a 40 or a 50 uh, or a 35. Uh, and those numbers actually don't equate to engine size at all, but to the power output of that engine. So they have categories. BMW also use that for some of for the electric cars. So they have categories, which basically tells you how many kilowatts the engine has. So if you have 25 or let's say 30, that means it's um, quite a the lower number. So it's probably a one liter. If you have a 40, it's probably a two liter. Um, one of the reasons also manufacturers were doing that is that you could have a 2-liter engine but have different displacements. And plus, what now happens is with electric cars, we can't really put the displacement at the back. You can't really say 2-liter anymore because electric cars don't have engine sizes. Yes. So that's one of the reasons why the manufacturers, are, are, especially with electric cars, they're going to numbers. And that sort of equates to probably, if you if you compare that to a petrol car, roughly what the, you know what you could... Say you know before this would probably be similar to what a four liter would be, but some of these actually still do that. I mean, if you look at Mazda as an example, you're still going to get in the back of the car. Um, you know, if it says a two liter, it's a two liter. But some manufacturers aren't doing it. So uh, what I'm saying is, when you're looking at a, buying a brand new car, or looking at a car, what's standing at the back might not necessarily be the engine size that the car has. Ah, well, let's take a small break, Nico. And when we come back, we continue with our conversation. And uh, please send us your voice notes. Nico is um, online to answer your questions. 0614-104-107. And uh, it's all things motoring related. That's car related. So send your uh, send those voice notes um, pronto, pronto.
Um, and uh, let's try and get you some answers. We'll be back just now. Yes, Nico, welcome back. That's Nico Smith, my petrol head, and we're talking about cars and all things motoring. Nico, tell me, whatever happened to Morris? Oh, yeah, talking, uh, you're not talking about a person, but the brand Morris. The, the brand Morris. Morris, <laughs> Morris Minor. Oh, I mean, now, I'm, I'm sure my dad is listening, and he, he spoke about, you know, I never um, uh, drove in a Morris Minor. It was before my time, but I, I remember my dad talking about Morris Minor. But what happened? What happens in, in, in the motor industry is some brands lost, um, and, and they, they keep going very well. Um, and some brands actually just, you know, through time, their the sales go down. Maybe they market it in the wrong way. And eventually, those companies close. Uh, sort of a new example of like Morris would be Saab. So Saab was interesting. It was a, a Swedish manufacturer. Um, of course, Saab also made jets like the Viggen or the Gripen that our Air Force has. Um, and um, they were quite quirky and, and, and a little bit different to everybody else. And then they sort of lost their mojo. They Instead of making quirky and interesting cars, they, they made more mainstream cars. And I think that, that kind of killed the brand. So there are some car brands that, are, you know, that were around and then some of them just simply, they become part of a bigger group. And within that group, um, the cars aren't selling well and they simply kill that, that, those cars off and you don't see them anymore. So sometimes a car or sometimes a, a complete brand is killed. Or sometimes it's an it, you know, economic situation. If you, if you go back long enough, in 1929, with the Great Depression, before the Great Depression, there were lots of car brands. And after the Great Depression, a lot of them actually just didn't survive and, and, and stop, you know, they weren't being sold. The Second World War had a similar effect again. After the Second World War, car manufacturers were battling, um, and new ones started again. So I think that's just the, the cycle of the motor industry. And, and now what we're seeing uh, change is lots of new brands, especially from China, um, where brands that we had, haven't seen the, the, before um, are now coming in, into the market and they're doing well in, in, in China, but they're also now um, you know, tackling the rest of the world with very affordable cars. So the motor landscape is definitely changing. And again, you know, if you simply go back to the 1990s, I don't think Tesla started then. So nobody knew what a Tesla was. But definitely not the 1980s. I think the 1990s, they weren't around. And Tesla initially started as an electric car, but it was effectively a Lotus in a body that was just an electric vehicle. But if you look at how big Tesla is now, so the motor industry definitely changes through time and demand and some brands lost and some brands just don't make it, unfortunately. Mm, that is so true. Um, and then I've got a question, um, Nico, where um, someone is asking about fuel, right? So mm -hmm. the, the previous makes before 95 you know fuel you've got your you know your pe your 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 petrol which is 93 and 95 mm. and then you have an old model let's say for instance a mercedes and you were putting 93 all this time and all of a sudden there's this 95 and they say no performance wise it is the best is is it really a fact um, it's just the higher octane. So the higher octane, the slower the fuel burns. So if you have, let's say, an, uh, uh, an 89 octane, um, if you add them on a table, as an example, and you put a match to a lower octane, that would make, I don't want to say an explosion, but not, not the right way, but uh, a 95 would burn slower. So um, if you are always putting 93 in your car, keep putting 93 in your car. It's cheaper anyway. And, and, you know, and you probably have an older car. 
But some of the newer cars need a nine, a, a, or run better on a higher octane. So if you're buying an, a brand new car, chances are you need to put 95 as opposed to 93. But there's so many different cars, I would say um, consult the, the owner's manual. That, those things are amazing, the information you get from the owner's manual. And if you have an older car and you've been putting 93, don't put 95. There's no need to do that. So keep putting the fuel that you're putting into the car. Um, before as well, lead, a fuel had lead in it. And lead was used as a lubricant. A lubricant. Mm-hmm. Um, diesel as well. If you look at um, the PPM, we still look at a 50 PPM, a 10 PPM. And that, that was parts per million. And that was used as, um, uh, or that was actually sulfur in the case of, of diesel. It's sulfur in the fuel. So if you have a diesel car, and especially if you have a brand new diesel car, or um, um, I would consider, especially if it's a diesel car or a diesel SUV, that with high outputs, looking for the lowest sulfur content. Um, because the, the, the PPM is parts per million, and you can almost think of it like dirty. So if you have found the PPM very dirty, 50 PPM, much cleaner, 10 PPM, much cleaner. So the parts per million is going to have an effect um, over a long time on, on, on your engine because your injectors have very small holes and very high pressure, 2,000 and 2.5, or so 2,000 and 2,500 bar is the pressure that that diesel is injected into your engine. So it depends on the engine, of course. Some of them are lower. So if you have a dirty diesel, what can happen over time is your injectors can get clogged. So, um, if, I mean, I have a diesel car, a diesel vehicle, and I always look for the lowest um, PPM side of a Pretoria. So there's a filling station not far from here, um, but not exactly in my route, but that's 10 PPM. So that's where I, I castle 10 PPM. So that's where I normally go, go to fill up. Mm. So if you're buying a German diesel, don't put 500 ppm in there. You are looking for trouble. You know, the worst you should do is 50 ppm. Mm. So, you know, so in other words, it depends on where you're living. It depends on the age of your car, what fuel you're putting in. But if you've been putting 93, stick with 93. And um, we've got a voice note. Let's just go to the voice note and find out uh, what uh, they're saying on the on the other side. And also just remember 0614-104-107. If you have any questions, just make sure your voice note is not more than one minute and um, your recording is audible so that we can plug it in and Nico can hear it clearly. Let's go to the to the voice note. Good morning, Beta. Good morning, Nico. Good morning to the team and the loyal listeners. Mr. Nico, first question. Let's say Toyota designed a brand new diesel car today and that car doesn't even have a single diesel in it. I purchase that car and I decide to put petrol in it. Can the car works because there is no single drop of diesel in it? It's originally diesel. Lastly, in summer, if you use air condition in your car, does it consume more fuel or is a mist? It's Bramoro in Bloemfontein. Okay. Um, so the first part, I'm not 100% sure, but it sounds like the question is, if you have a petrol car, can you put diesel? Yes. Um, or is there, so- unfortunately, somebody's, yeah. He says, let's say you go and you purchase a car. It has nothing. It has never had a drop of, let's say, it's a mm-hmm. diesel. It has never mm-hmm. been, you've never, they, they haven't put anything. Can you then convert it, um, at, well, basically oh. buy petrol and run it on petrol? Yes. No. So, so the way that those two systems work is completely different. So a petrol car has a spark plug. And that, so you mix fuel and, air, fuel and air together and you ignite it with a spark plug and that makes it burn. In a diesel car, you don't actually have a spark plug, but as you compress the, you only compress the air, that creates pressure and heat. And then when you inject the diesel, 
um, the diesel will ignite. That's with TDI, turbo direct injection. Um, so in other words, you're direct in, injecting the diesel. So the way that those two systems work is fundamentally completely different, uh, or the way that you in, you ignite the fuel. So you can't actually do that. Um, you can. Uh, I, I would not be a good idea to start a car if you've accidentally put in petrol in a diesel car or diesel in a petrol car. But you can normally just simply drain it. But those cars anyway would at the factory eventually once the cars built that put they place the petrol car, they put petrol in there, and there is a small amount of petrol. And on the way from, from wherever the car is being built to South Africa on the ship, there is a small amount of petrol in that car. So, um, yes, you definitely cannot convert. The second part, uh, remind me again, Bertha. Um, 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 now my brain has just gone, has just frozen <laughs> on me, Nico. <laughs> I thought, hang on, I have an answer for that one. And then I've, I've got so much, it just ah, shows my short attention. Air conditioning, yes. air conditioning. You oh, see, oh, yes, my brain is yes. back. He says, Thank you. Um, Thanks for having one brain at least between the two of us. So, <laughs> the le- the um, left side woke up. Um, he, he was asking, so, uh, yes. So I know the question. So, yes, um, the aircon, he always would, would draw some power away. So if you have a car with an aircon, it is going to take a certain amount of uh, performance away, small amount and it's going to slightly up your fuel consumption. But if you compare that to the comfort in the car, um, it's worth whatever extra you're paying. It's not a huge amount. It is an extra amount. But, you know, I, I remember having cars without econs when I was growing up, and my first car didn't have, have an econ. So, I rem- you know, I know what it's like trying to drive with the windows open and trying to cool yourself down. So for me, the comfort that you have is worth the offset of, slightly higher fuel consumption. But it isn't a massive difference, but there is a difference. Mm. And then I've got another one um, that says, um, look, um, I'm just surprised about fuel these days. Uh, Before I used to put in, let's say, 12 liters in my vehicle, and my 12 liters will last me a week or so. And all of a sudden, the 12 liters does not even last me for the same distance, three days, I'm refilling. What's happening? Uh, I, I, is it the range of the fuel? Because nothing should inferior change. Um, so effectively, um, you know, if, you, if you're using liters, if you're putting 10 liters in and you're getting a certain amount of, of distance and you're putting 10 liters in 10 years later, well, it's, let's say it's the same car and 10 years later, the same car, nothing would change. If you have a different car, maybe that would change. So in other words, if you now have an engine that's heavier on fuel, that would change. If you've gone from a small car to a big SUV, 12 liters is going to definitely be a big difference. If you've changed you know, the amount of time you're driving or the distance that you're driving, maybe that makes enough, a difference. Um, if you're driving in town with a petrol car versus on the highway, that's going to make a difference. But otherwise, if you've got the same car and you have it for 10 years, um, sometimes the cars actually get slightly better on fuel. I've seen that now with cars that I've had. Is um, um, I've only ever owned one new car. I've had some cars that were demos, but I've seen over time that they slightly they get better and the fuel consumption gets slightly better. But it shouldn't be you know much worse. Definitely not. Mm. Um, I, it's, this, these are quite interesting questions. I've got another one. I think let me just take a small break. Um, I've got. I think it's a, it's a WhatsApp that's just come through, and I'll I'll come back to the WhatsApp just now. All things automotive with the petrol head Nico Smith. And um, oh yes, it's, it says Fiat. Fiat first in all troubles. 
oh, okay, they're just telling us about all the other cars and what they think about other cars and says Ford fix or repair daily. Is that the case, Tata? When they steal cars, they don't take this one. <laughs> As it's, it's as a super 16 Toyota taxi is a wedge. I don't know. What, what do you think about that, that they say that, you know, a Fiat... Uh, first in all troubles. Does it really give so many troubles? And do you have to repair a Ford that much? Tata can understand, that, you know, the aesthetics are not as, exactly fantastic. So I don't think anyone would want to steal it. Um, you know, it's it just, it, it, you always get fans of certain brands and people that don't like the brand. And then they use, they, they take the name and make it an acronym out of that. And, uh, you know, and sometimes it's a positive one like Ford and people say first on rubbish dump and sometimes or negative and sometimes it's positive for only racing drivers. So people like like the Fiat one, you know, I, I, with every brand you get um, the name and then people use the name as an acronym for positive and negative. It's whether you like the brand or not. Um, so, you know, it's a difficult one to say, yes, you're going to, you know, it's going to break down more or it's going to break down less. Um, you know, that would be a diff- difficult one to comment on. Um, uh, yeah, it, it depends on how well you've looked after the car, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, some people would say uh, Italian brands are temperamental cars, but the people that drive those cars love them. So um, my, my thing would always be whatever car I'm driving, I would service it when it needs the service. Um, I wouldn't miss anything. If something breaks, I'd repair that if I can immediately. I wouldn't leave that as a problem. So, um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't say, oh, you know what, it, it's a brand that breaks more or breaks less. Yeah, um, but they are they are you know if you look at surveys um, internationally, there's lots of surveys and they look at different brands um, and then they look at the the faults um, per hundred cars. In other words, if you have a certain amount of cars, how many cars have faults? Um, so in other words, there are reliability reliability surveys that are done every year in different countries, um, and the ones that tend to do well are. Um, uh, not not any particular order, Honda, Toyota, and Suzuki tend to then do well. But if you look at U.S. surveys, then a lot of the time the U.S. brands do well there. Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, it's a difficult one to say yes or no. Mm. And where where is Alfa Romeo? I know I've seen quite a lot of, you know, different Alfa Romeos. And it just doesn't seem to be, you know, that car that becomes seriously visible um, every now and then, you know, when the new models are put on the market, unlike, for instance, like now where we see Haval came onto the market and it's everywhere, you know, and if Toyota comes up with something, it, it you see it everywhere. What is it with um, Alfa Romeo? What's happening there? No, you know, no, Alfa, Alfa is, I mean, in, it's a, it's a, that's a really nice cause, but the difficult thing, I think, that they find themselves in is, unfortunately, uh, import taxes on their cars, which tend to, you know, make the cars a little bit expensive in, in certain of the instances. But, and, and South Africans tend to also, you know, we, we speak to certain brands we like. So there's a smaller brand following for Alfa Romeo in South Africa than there would be in Italy. So trust me, when you drive in Italy, you're going to see a lot more Alfa. So mm. South Africans tend to be a bit more conservative and they tend to, you know, keep buying the brands that they like. As I said, and also, so they um, differently in South Africa, but the offering isn't that big. I mean, they've only got the, the, the Julia, the Stelvio, and the Tonale, which is, you know, and, and unfortunately, those cars are slightly more expensive than the competitors. And in South Africa, the, the car market is a very competitive one. So I think that's maybe the difficult thing for, for people. Um, they have a smaller band, 
you know, smaller following, but not as big as, let's say, Toyota. A lot more people would buy Toyota. But also, uh, that end of the market is also, you know, tends to be uh, very competitive. So you have lots of choices. And that makes it, tends to make it a bit more difficult for you. And Nico, just before I let you go, would you recommend a Tata? Yes, I, I mean, I, I would say Tata, Tata is a massive company. I don't know if you're aware of this, but as a company, Tata is huge. So before, if you go back a few years ago, when Tata you know, first came into the market, they weren't really exciting. They would not spend money um, on a Tata. But as a brand, Tata is a massive company worldwide. You can't really buy a Tata in South Africa. So Tata isn't, um, as far as I know, there's no Tata currently that you can buy in South Africa. But, um, you know, they're a, a massive, massive company that builds ships and things. The Tatas we saw were just entry levels into the market. Mm. So, um, yeah, but you can't really currently buy a Tata in South Africa. Um, I'm contemplating getting myself one. I know, <laughs> it, it is so unsexy, but I am going to get myself one. <laughs> <laughs> Nico, thank you so much for joining us and um, have yourself a great weekend. <laughs> Thanks, Bertha. Have a lovely one. <laughs> Same to you. And but for now.